Folks, we're doing this series called Weathering Life with a Sovereign God. We're, it's basically looking at 1 Samuel, and we're wanting to learn faith lessons. And so as I was sitting here thinking, I thought, well, I need to talk to you a little bit about what faith is first before I get into our passage. And so I went to the great faith chapter, as it's called in the Bible, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And this is how Hebrews 11 begins. It says, gives you a definition of faith. Verse 1, it says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction. Do we understand that? It's faith is I'm I have a conviction about that which I don't see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance of what's coming for us. Okay. If you go down a little bit further to verse 6, Listen to this. This is why it's so important for you to understand faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. I think the New King James says it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The New King James says rewards those who diligently seek him. The point is, that I want you to see is faith is so important to our lives. Now, if you're going to understand your faith, because we all want to have stronger faith, right? Okay. Because we face the stuff that we face, we want to have stronger faith. In order for you to understand your faith, you need to understand your calling. Do you realize that? Every one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ have been called. You were called. Some of you were like, oh, you know, I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be a missionary. Because usually that's what we think in terms of when we talk about calling. It's somebody called into full-time ministry. But I'm, I'm going to explain to you, yes, there are specific callings. We see that in the Bible. But there also is a general calling. There's a general calling to all believers. You were called out of darkness, it says, into what? Light. You have all been called. And that calling is, I'm going to explain it to you, is a foundational thing as far as your faith. Because your faith rests upon that initial calling. When God saved you, that became the foundation of your faith. What do you mean? Because it was your faith that brought that salvation, right? And it's that faith that you rest in no matter what you go through. Do you understand? And we're going to see that, especially in the life of King David today. Why? Because David, we're going to see today, is anointed. He's called by God to what? Be king over Israel. Now, folks, he's a young boy. It's going to be a long time before he actually becomes king. A long time. And he's got to endure many hardships, stuff that goes wrong continually. And what he rests in to carry him through it is what? His calling. What he was called to do. That's where his faith was. Now, what does that have to do with you and I? Well, here's what I want you to see. It has to do with you and I from the perspective that where we rest in, no matter what we face as we go through this life, 
is that we have our faith in our calling to salvation to God. What? Because of what he's done for us and what he's going to do for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just that I got saved and was forgiven. It's what God's doing in my life right now and what's coming later on. Do you understand? That's where my faith rests in, is in the work of God in my life. So we're going to talk about this issue of calling. And when I talk about this issue of calling, I'm going to just kind of point out to you and I that the first thing before we look at this passage that we have to deal with is, is that when I bring this whole calling thing up to you and that God's got something special for you, by the way, God does have something special for you. You exist as a believer because God has a purpose for you. That's why he called you. He didn't call everybody just for, for just for the sake of just, well, I think they're cool. I'll just call them. No, no. He's got a purpose for you. But the problem is, is we don't see that. And it's because we have faulty self-perception. Faulty self-perception. So if you look in your bulletin, I've kind of filled this out on the back for you. I haven't filled it out. I've left it for you to fill out. I'm going to point out two things about this faulty self-perception. I think we understand the first one. Because that's where a lot of us are at. Here's the first one. Some of you have a negative perception of yourself. Some of you have a negative perception of yourself. When we even talk about this issue of God calling you and God having a special plan for you and God having a purpose for your life, immediately some of you are like, oh yeah, sure, and you write that off. And the reason why you write it off is because of how you perceive yourself. And here's how you perceive yourself. You look at yourself based upon, number one, I don't have the brain power, I don't have the education, I don't have the money, or I'm a failure, and you'll think about whatever the failure is, maybe in some personal relationship, maybe something dumb you did at work, maybe something dumb you did in some sin that's always haunting you, and you think of God as not being able to accept you. And so you have a negative perception. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is a faulty self perception. What we're going to see from our passage today is that the way that you're thinking is wrong. When God calls you, he calls you according to his purpose, and he doesn't look at things the way that you look at them. Do you understand me? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it totally wonderful that God's calling on you, especially when you think about the calling of salvation, it has nothing to do with you. Can I say that again? Your salvation has nothing to do with you. Own that. So that's the first aspect of faulty self-perception that we have. Here's the second one. This one may actually surprise you. We can understand the first one, right? But there's another faulty self-perception that some of us May just be a few of us, but some of us fall into. Here's what it is. Some of you think too highly of yourself. What? Now listen to me. Some of you think too highly of yourself. 
Because you do look at your brain power, or you do look at your wallet, or you do look at your job, or you do look at your education, and you think that you can just go through life on your own, and yes, everything's wonderful because it's all going right for you. Now here's the problem, though. The problem is, is that when you think too highly of yourself, guess who you don't need? God. You don't need God. You can do it in your own strength. You can do it in your own brain power. You can buy it yourself. I remember years ago, I had a friend. He and I got saved within a week of each other at this college group in, in uh, at the University of South Carolina. And I remember going away studying for at Liberty University, studying for the ministry, studying my Bible degree. And I came home that summer and was working in a furniture store. And uh, on the weekends... Or in the afternoon, we would go boating. But right before he got that boat, he had to go pick it up. So we were, he said, hey, you want to ride with me out to Myrtle Beach? Oh, yeah, I'll go with you to Myrtle Beach. Young guy, I'll go to Myrtle Beach. He said, we're not going exactly to the beach. We're going to a dealership right before you hit the beach because I'm picking up my new boat. Oh, I'll go with you. Two-hour road trip, I'll make it with you to get your boat. So as we're going along, he says to me, we're talking about prayer, and he says, I don't pray much. And I said to him, what do you mean you don't pray much? He says, because he had a job in an architectural firm. He said, anything I need, I buy. Now, folks, that bothered me. It still bothers me now, 30 years later. Why does that bother me? Because he's basically expressing, he's thinking what, folks? Too highly of himself. And he's basically saying he doesn't need who? Even though he's a Christian, he doesn't need who, folks? God. See, that's a faulty perception of yourself. That's really, can I be honest with you, where a lot of folks who don't come to Christ are, they have a faulty self-perception of themselves that they don't need Jesus, so that's why they don't come to Jesus. See, you can actually be a believer and have a faulty self-perception of yourself in that sense, where you think too highly of yourself. Now, here's what I want you to see, is from our passage today, we're going to look that when it comes to God, he's got a whole different standard. He's got a whole different way of looking at things. So I want you to notice the passage with me this morning. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're just going to look at 13 verses. Okay? Notice with me. Starts off in verse 1. Remember, Saul is king, but Saul hasn't been doing right, and God's rejecting him. So the Lord comes and he talks to Samuel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you I will show you what you shall do, for you shall anoint for me one I name for you. So Samuel did as the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, 
And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was that when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before, before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. He is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he we will not sit down till he comes. So instead, he sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy, with the bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let me just kind of point something out to you. It says he's ruddy. You're like, what does that mean? Ruddy means he's red. What, does, what, what do you mean red? Well, it means he either had red hair or a red complexion. Which, by the way, if you're out tending the sheep in Palestine, guess what you're going to be? Red. Okay? And even if his, his hair is going to be bleached out by the what? The sun. So that's what it's talking about there. Here's what we're going to see from this passage. You've heard this passage before. You probably studied it in Sunday school. Maybe you've heard a message about it before. But I want to look at a couple of things here that has to do with your calling and ultimately with your faith. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, remember I said we have a false perception and it's faulty? Where does that come from? That comes from the world's standard. So here's what I want you to notice. A couple of things. If we look at verse 6, here's Samuel. He's told to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king. First guy he sees is the oldest guy. Jesse must have had some sharp boys. I'm just being honest with you. You ever seen family and they got some sharp-looking sons? Okay. He must have had some sharp-looking boys. And the first one he sees is he says, wow, this is him. This is the Lord's anointed. Here's the false standard that we fall. It's the world standard. First of all, outward appearance is the standard by which we judge each other. Outward appearance is the standard by which we judge each other. Isn't that true? You meet somebody for the first time, I can almost guarantee you, whether your head's moving up and down, at least your eyeballs are, you're what? You're checking them out. Right? You're checking them for what? how they dress, you're listening for how they what? Speak. You're checking them out because you're judging them based upon your first interaction with them, based upon how they look and how they act. 
And you've often heard it that first-time impressions are lasting, right? You and I will make a first-time impression of people, and that will be the standard by which we judge them. Now, have you ever noticed that we're often wrong when it comes to our first-time perceptions? Now, you say, well, yeah, but there's a lot of times I'm right. Now, I understand that. There's a lot of times you're right. But for a lot of us, though, we're using the world standard of looking at the outward appearance. That's what Samuel's doing here. He's supposed to anoint somebody to be king, somebody who's been called by the Lord to be king, and we assume that this is the standard. We look at how the guy looks or how he carries himself, and we go by that standard. And you know what? That's why we have that faulty self-perception, right? Because we have that standard of what the world says, and we look at ourselves, and we don't match up. And we're frustrated. We're frustrated. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see here. This is where it gets really bad. We assume that God uses the same standard. We assume that God uses the same standard. In fact, that's what Samuel's doing here. He's assuming that this standard he has where he's choosing, the, you know, this, this oldest boy, Eliab, he, he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now, why would he say that? He says that because he's thinking God uses the same standard, looking at the outward appearance. Now, remember what I said? Remember I told you about the faulty perceptions that we have? Number, some of you have a negative perception of yourself. The reason why you have a negative perception of yourself is because you're using which standard, folks? The world standard. You're looking at how the world looks at you or looks at what you've done or what the world thinks, and you're thinking, well, God sees me that way. That's the faulty perception. Remember I told you of the folks who think too highly of themselves? How do they get to that point where they think too highly of themselves? Because they're using what standard, folks? The world standard, which measures everything by what? Looks. You know what I'm saying? Looks measures everything by what? How big and fat your bank account is. Looks at everything based on what? How much knowledge you have. Do you understand? That's what's going on here. And it's the wrong standard. In fact, God has to tell Samuel, hold on. I've got a different standard. In fact, that's what we're going to see here in verse 7. Look at what he says in verse 7. Chapter 16, verse 7, he says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I refused him. For the Lord does not see him as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, here's what I want you to do. If you have your own Bibles and you don't mind underlining or highlighting something, here's what I want you to do. I want you to underline this phrase. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, why am I having you underline that? Because you need to remember that. Because you might be here today and you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have that faulty perception. I'm not wrestling with that perception. You will at some point. In fact, every one of you is going to fall into one of these two false perceptions. At some point, you will think of yourself negatively. And when you think of yourself negatively that way, you're going to think that God sees you that way. And then another point, you're going to think of yourself too highly. You're going to think of yourself as being too good. 
you know what I'm saying? You're just blessing the room when people walk in. When you walk in among the people. No, no, you need to understand, you're looking at things from what? The world's perspective. God has a different perspective. What is it? He looks at the heart. So here's what I want you to see about this. Here's two things. Number one, first of all, the Lord chooses for himself. Go back to verse one. The Lord said to him, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn. I'm sending you to Jesse. Then notice what it says there. I have provided myself a king. All right, so let me just stop. Why are you saved? Well, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I understand how you came to salvation. But my question is, why you? Why did your mind open up to the reality of Jesus whenever it did? For me, it was in April of 1985. Why did that happen? Why me? Why you, whenever it was that you opened up your mind and you accepted Jesus Christ? Why you? Why did God all of a sudden open your mind and, and the next person who was with you didn't have their mind open? Why you? Here's what I'm going to tell you. It had nothing to do with you. It wasn't because you looked pretty or were cute, or handsome. It wasn't because he knew what in the future you were going to achieve this, or knew what your potential was. God doesn't go by any of those standards. Do you understand what I'm saying? God goes by one thing alone, whom he chooses. In fact, isn't that what oftentimes the scripture talks about salvation? Uh, those who are saved, he calls them what? Chosen. He talks about them being elected. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's all pointing to God's sovereignty. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who has a part in it. And here's what I want you to see. He chooses for himself. So here's what I'm saying. What has that got to do with my faith, George? When you talk about your faith and your trust in Jesus, it's not about you. Okay, so let me ask you something. How many of you messed up this week? Raise your hand. Where's the perfect people here? I can't, I'm seeing all these hands. I'm okay. You messed up this week, right? Why you mess up every week? Some of you are like, well, there's not an hour that goes by I don't mess up. Right? I know. I know that's my story. We mess up. We sin. There's nothing good about us, is there? Well, today I'm thinking there is. Well, it's because you got that faulty, faulty perception. You're thinking too highly of yourself, really. Well, you're adding to my negative perception, George. Yeah, I'm doing it for a reason. I want you to see that your faith doesn't rest in you. It rests in who, folks? God. God chooses for himself. So that means God's got some kind of standard. Yeah, but I don't know what it is. But it's not what I think it is. Right? Here's the second thing I want you to see here. Chooses for himself. Here's what I want you to see. The Lord does not see things as we do. The Lord does not see things as we do. You need to understand that. And this is something I have to continually remind myself of. 
See, this is happening in, in, in North, North American Christianity right now, where we just assume that God is only going to use special people anointed by God. Did you understand what I'm saying? God only uses special people anointed by God. But the fact of the matter is, God doesn't see things the way that we see them. I remember, I mean, I think back to this. This, this is uh, 30, go back to 1986, so that'd be 33 years ago. I remember being in a discussion in a small group Bible study as we're trying to reach out on the University of South Carolina campus, talking about how can we reach people for Jesus. And somebody says, well, I know the quarterback from the USC football team. If we could reach him, then we can reach everybody. Now, what's the problem with that? We're thinking that if we could reach somebody special, then that somebody special is going to allow us to touch the rest of the college campus, which, by the way, has 25,000 people. And like I, not everybody cares about football. Really? Yes, not everybody cares about football. See, we thought that if we could reach special people, then we could do that. I remember years ago, it's only been a couple of years ago, some guy called me from a ministry and said he wanted to start a youth ministry in the area and wanted to know if our church wanted to participate. And we, were, we had the chill zone going on at that time, and we were reaching a certain segment of kids that most weren't reaching at that time. We were trying to minister to them. And, and he told me, I said, well, can you tell me, we're doing this. What's your ministry like? Oh, we go to the elite kids in school. And we figure if we reach the elite kids, then we'll reach everybody else. And I said, I don't think so. How do you know? I'm a parent of a teenager. And they hang out with their group of kids, and they don't hang out with other, and they don't cross-mingle. Do you agree with that one? So the elite kids don't hang out with the lower kids. The lower kids don't hang out with the elite kids. And then you got the people that drift in between, Right? See, this is what we think. We, we, we think that God sees the way we do, but God doesn't see the way we do. He's got a completely different standard. So can I say this? Aren't you glad he doesn't see the way we do? Because if he saw the way we do, we probably wouldn't be saved. Right? So here's the, that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. The passage tells us here. The Lord looks at the heart of an individual. The Lord looks at the heart of an individual. Now, you know, I had to process this. <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you. When I think about him looking and calling me into salvation, so I think about how I was as a 19-year-old freshman engineering student. My heart wasn't right. My heart wasn't seeking after Jesus or even interested in Jesus at that point. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? My heart wasn't good. My heart was very selfish. My heart was wicked. I'm just being honest with you. So he's looking at my heart? What, what does that mean? Because if I'm looking at my heart, it ain't good. Do you know what I'm saying? What does he mean he looks at our heart? Here's what I'm saying, folks. Remember, God exists outside of time. God sees the past, present, and future, the present, everything as what? One. So when he's looking at your heart, he's looking at what? The whole of you. Not just one specific time in one moment, in one life, in your lifetime. Isn't that something? God sees the whole of you. 
And that's what's more important to you, is the whole of you. Do you understand? He chooses by looking at the whole of you. Now the problem is, we don't know that. Well, we should just go around looking for the people who have the right hearts. Really? How do you do that? That's people we should share with because that's what God's looking at. Yeah, God looks at the whole of them from a whole different perspective. From You and I only look at them right now. And if you had looked at me as an 18-year-old, you would probably say there's no sense even bothering. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no sense even bothering. But God looks. I'm going to tell you how this all wraps into faith here in a moment. So just trust me. He looks at the heart of the individual. And then here's the second one. The Lord often uses what we see as insignificant. I mean, you think about the story. I mean, think about it for a moment, okay? All right, so first of all, here's Samuel. First of all, he's a judge. So that's a significant leader in Israel. He's a judge. He shows up in Bethlehem. Remember now the story reads that they were trembling. The leaders of the elders of the village were trembling. Why are you here? Because when a judge shows up, that usually means he's there to drop the hammer on somebody, right? So they're asking, are you coming peaceably? And he says, I'm coming peaceably. I'm here to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. And he invites Jesse and his boys to the meal. Now Jesse, now this is something, he brings all of his boys but one, the little one. The one that's insignificant to dad. The one that's tending the sheep. Because really he's just a kid, isn't that true? We, we, we don't pay mind to children, do we? And we let him go out in the field. And, and see, that's the thing. We're again, we're looking at things based upon a human standard because on a human standard, God is only worried about the significant, not the insignificant. But I'm trying to tell you that God often uses what we see as insignificant. Man, I am so reminded of that so many times when I see things throughout the world. You know, we think that God uses the Billy Grahams and the Franklin Grahams and this guy and that guy and all of that. But the fact of the matter is, yes, he uses them and they do something. But I'll be honest with you, there's a whole lot of people that God's using that are doing something that nobody even knows who they are. And they're having a greater impact. Why? Because God's tendency is to use who? The insignificant. How do I know that? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Okay? The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to these verses, 26 through 31. For you see your calling. Okay, here we are. We're talking about that calling word again. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Here's what he says. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to, to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but that of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. See, God uses the insignificant. Why? Because when he uses the insignificant, who gets all the praise? He does. He doesn't choose special people. This is what this is what Samuel is pointing out to you. The Lord's pointing out to Samuel here. I'm the one. I look at the heart. I'm the one who chooses. Here's the other thing. You and I need to grasp that we can't look at our perceptions of ourselves as the basis of our relationship with God. The basis of our relationship with God is not how you see yourself, it's how God sees you. That's where your faith is. Do you understand me? Your faith isn't in how you see yourself. Your faith is in how God sees you. How does he see me? Look, I just read to you from 1 Corinthians. Starts off from the very beginning. Now talk about a church that had problems. Boy, they had problems. But he starts off with what? Saints. Saints. Holy ones. Special ones. Loved of God. That's you and I. All right, so where do we go with this? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts as we wrap this up. Here's what you got to do. Number one, begin to look at life from the perspective of your calling. We're going to see this played out in David's life. Because folks, so at one point, David is the son-in-law to the king. But the next point, David is a fugitive from the king. The king's out to kill him. At one point, everybody in Israel is out to get him. But how does he continue on? I'll tell you how he continues on. He continues on because he has a calling on his life. What's the calling? God anointed him to be what? King. King. We say, well, there already is a king. I understand that, but God's got a special calling on his life. Now here, what does that got to do with you and I? Folks, God entered into your life to bring you to the point of what? Salvation. That was his special calling. Now does everybody understand that? You've all been called. He just talked about that in 1 Corinthians, right? He calls all of us to what? Serve him through salvation. Now you need to begin to live out of that. You are someone who's special. You are a child of God. You are beloved. You are saved. Don't look at your circumstances. Because that's what we do. I, oh, it's not good right now. You know, I wish I were better. No, no, I understand that. But that has nothing to do with who you are. The world may say it has something to do with who you are. But that's not who you are on the basis of faith. On the basis of faith, you are who you are because of God saving you. Do you understand? That's what you've got to grasp. Here's the second thing. Final thing I want you to do. Rest on your calling when life is telling you something else. Rest on your calling when life is telling you something else. Think about David for a moment. I mean, God's calling on his life was to be king. I'm sure there were moments where he was like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting out here in a cave, running for my life. What do you mean? You rest on your calling. 
you're sitting there and you're saying, my calling? I mean, I thought things were going to be okay. No, no, you rest on your calling because sometimes God brings you through difficult circumstances. Sometimes those difficult circumstances last until you go to be with Jesus. But your calling is to something more. What is it? It's the calling of God in your life to salvation that you will ultimately experience with him. Rest on it. You don't know what's going on in my life. You're right. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm going to tell you right now, you can still rest on who you are in Jesus even as you face what you're facing. And I know it may not turn out okay. But you rest on your calling. That's where your faith needs to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's given you faith. How do I know that? Well, the scripture tells us that. The faith that you have is because God gave it to you. Isn't that awesome? Quit listening to the guys on TV. It has to do with what Jesus did for you. Rest in your calling. Let me pray for you.